It's good to be back. You know, the enemy I, I started, I'm not going to get into it today, but I'll just talk about it for about 10 seconds. I want to speak about, uh, in January, that the devil's a liar. He whispers lies. That's his game. That's all he can do because the truth sets you free. So all he can do to get you back in bondage is just speak the lies. And if you believe the lies, it's going to take you from what? The truth that sets you free. The truth sets you free. The lie binds you. And I'm not, again, I'm not going to get into that, but I wanted to just say that um, this year, God has done some amazing things, incredible things. And the devil's been trying to lie. He'll try, he's been trying to trick his, God's people because God is, when God starts bringing his people together, when we start becoming one, I've preached on it before and I'll, I'll preach on it again for sure this winter, that even when they were in Babylon, even when they were building the Tower of Babel, which was not a godly effort, it was actually an effort to oppose God. But it, the Bible says that God said, to himself, to Jesus and the Holy Spirit. They have a conversation, private conversation. They said they looked down and said, if we don't stop them, they're going to do what they've imagined. Why? Because they were united. The devil knows the power of the unity of the saints. Why? That's why Jesus said, Lord, if I can pray one thing for your people before I go, I pray that they would be one as we are one. Even Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit remain in unity as one. It is such a key to God's kingdom. It's a key to Christianity. That's the key, actually, that we remain as one. A house divided cannot stand. I mean, the world knows that. The world knows that. If you want to divide, you conquer, right? So, don't believe the lies circulating, circulating around. I want to look into this new year looking at the truth. And uh, Dan said it a long time ago, and I've, I've taken it, and I've, just, I've, and I've put this thing deep down in my heart. It's one of the truths that I'll carry for the rest of my life. And it's the devil, he'll speak facts, but God speaks the truth. The devil loves facts. In fact, the devil is a stickler for the law, right? That's why the Bible says the law is for the sinner. It's because if you need the law, it means you're looking. You're trying to do whatever you can do so the law binds you, right? I mean, really, God, it, God used it to protect them, but they only needed it because they were trying to find the boundaries. But if you live by the Spirit, if we live looking just to please Him, you're so far from those boundaries that doesn't matter. It's such a simple gospel, but we make it real complicated because, very simply, we start listening to lies. We start listening to, we're having a fight, and we start listening to, well, I'm right, you know, when we've gotten into this. And I just, so what I want to do is you just push those facts away. 2016, push the facts away. Let's believe the truth. What is the truth? The truth is that, and I said it this year, we're going to carry that theme right into 2017, that God is still God. Amen? God is still God. God was God um, before our new president was elected, and he's God today. And he'll be God on the 20th. And he'll be God in 50 years, and he'll be God in a billion years. 
He doesn't change. The time changes. The world changes. Plans and purposes of, of humanity change, but God doesn't change. He is still God. This is a time where we, though, we start, who has made a, a resolution list? Anybody in here? Not, maybe not right on pen and paper, but who has had one in their mind? Anybody? Okay, a few of us. This is a time where we start, it's just natural. Not everybody, but at this moment, we start making some mental notes that I want to do this this year. I want to do that this year. It's actually a very biblical thing to start to make resolutions. We don't necessarily, we don't have to wait for New Year's Eve to write them in the kingdom. We can make any day a new day. Isn't that amazing about God that he said his, the word says that his mercies are new each morning. Even as dark as it gets. What's the symbolism there? Man, it gets dark before the morning, doesn't it? But guess what? It's always going to rise. Just like God is God, that sun is always going to rise. We're not stopping it. The day the sun stops, guess what we get the promise of? What's the promise? That's it. We're out of here. I love that. Rapture. We're out of here. New kingdom. Heaven. Forever. Jesus becomes the sun for all time. A new heaven and a new earth. So doesn't matter how dark your moments get. You have, a per, you have a chance by the word of God every single day to say, this is your day, Lord. That's why the Bible says, rise and shine. Give God the glory, right? This is his day. So I just want to, though, because of our minds, even though you can do it any day, today is brand new, new year, 2017. I want to talk to us uh, about resolutions. And we all mentally make them, but, and it's biblical, but I want to have us just think for a moment what that actually means. What is God looking for? Many times when we sit down and we write these things, we write down, uh, you know, what business we want to start, what house we want to buy, what we want to pay off, what schooling we want to get done, right? Does this sound normal? And those things are, there's nothing wrong with any of those goals or aspirations because when we read in the Word, we can go to the Old Testament and we can read about the greats, the kings that really served God and they trusted God and they did amazing things. They built all kinds of stuff and fulfilled many things in God and they set a purpose. They loved God, set their purpose, and they accomplished things. There's nothing wrong with those resolutions. But a long time ago, um, the Lord really spoke to me very clearly that I was going to talk to a group of people and I said, you know, I was just thinking we need to put God first, right? Put God at first on the list. And I had this revelation. God said, I don't want to be first on your list. And I thought, that's very odd. God said, I want to be the list. And I was like just blown away by it. He doesn't want to be first on your list because this is what happens. If you're like me, this is what you do. Okay, I got my God time done. Are we all humans like the rest of us? It's what happens. He wants to go with us through the entire day. He wants to go through your whole life. Everything you do, he wants to be a part of it. 
Now, I can honestly say, now this is, this is me, we're all going to come to the end of this year and look into 2017 today with, with a little bit different. We're all kind of looking at the same things, that we, we have some past, we have some hurts, we have some things in 2016 that we want to leave behind, some things to propel us, some things that we're proud of. We all have those common denominators, but we're all going to be looking at what our life looked like, where we want it to be, maybe a little bit differently. And I can say for myself that I want to love God more. I want to know Him more. I want to, I can't say that I've been faithful to that, to carry Him through the whole list. It's so hard with everything in this world opposing Him. And it's actually a good thing, though, because the Bible, see, as the darkness increases, the light shines brighter. What it causes you to do, though, God can use these moments. The fact that it's hard actually is great for God. It's great. Because what it causes you to do is you realize. You realize your shortcomings. I would talk to somebody one time, and he was struggling with, a major mental issue, and it caused him to question himself, question his salvation, question his life in all these different areas because he had actual men some mental issues. And I said, you know, you have a gift because the rest of the world, they think they're fine. They think they don't need anything, that, they're all, that they've got things figured out, that it's good. But this issue, God didn't put that on you, but he will use it if you let him, because you are here talking to me saying, I know my need for God. I know that I need him. So as we come through the darker times, as the world just pushes Jesus out more and more and more, and we're finding that this year, aren't we? Who has, I mean, I have never seen, I'm not going to make this political Sunday, I'm going to talk for two seconds, but I've never seen anything like this. But it's a direct, it's not that our president-elect is Jesus Christ and the other one was the devil, okay? We're not going to get into any of that whatsoever. But the point is that what I'm seeing as a common denominator is, is that our faith, anything to do with Christianity in this season, has somehow gotten intertwined with this. And we are becoming more ostracized, being called more biggest than ever before. But what it causes us to do is to say, Lord, we need you. It's obvious, Lord, that this world's opposing you. And, it's, and I know that I know that you are God. And if I'm going to make it, if I'm going to stand up against this, this current and this flood as it gets stronger and stronger, then I need you more. You know, the Bible says, I love this story, and the Lord just impressed upon I wasn't going to share it, but the Lord impressed upon me during worship, actually, to add this scripture, and I'm going to start with it right now. It's a scripture in Luke It's in chapter 18, verse 9. It says, Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness, and they scorned everyone else. 
Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers, and I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, O oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. Jesus replies, I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. I want to start this brand, this brand new year, 2017, first day. The best way to have a relationship with God is just to remember the story every day. We're not, all, we're not beating our chest saying, Lord, I'm so sorry that I murdered that guy today. I mean, maybe in a church this small, I... Don't think so. Maybe in a bigger church, that guy would be in the back, and I could say that. It has slipped in because he needs to make some things right. <laughs> I don't think so here. But there's an analogy here that the Lord is giving us, and it's that our humility before God, realizing who we are. As soon as we start to think, well, I don't really have any resolutions with God. As soon as we start to make our human resolutions, and we did, the first one wasn't, God, I just want to know you more. Do you know that we have done what this scripture is talking about without even realizing? Because basically what we're telling God is that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing good. I've been fasting twice a week. I've been giving you a tenth of my income. I'm doing good, Lord. And I'm not like the rest of the world, so we're good. Okay, Lord, now about me. It's a very subtle thing. You know, the devil works in subtleties. The more mature you get, and I believe that this church is a mature church, this place is mature. Of course, we have tons and tons of growing to, to do, right? And we will. We will not stop that until we cross over. But I believe you're mature here, and see, as you're mature, the devil can't get you to murder someone that easily. He starts very subtly, extremely subtly. But to Jesus, to, in the kingdom of God, Jesus said, fine, you don't murder, but do you hate? And we've talked, we just talked about this a little bit back in, in December. And the point is, it's a heart issue inside of us that God is looking for. The devil is the stickler. He's the law guy. He's going to try to trap you there. And meanwhile, God is the heart guy. So what we do is we go to the rules and to the law books, and we go down our checklist with God, and we say, 
this is good, that's good, this is good, that's good. I'm good, man. 2016, God, that was a good year. We're good. Instead, with God, it's, it's not a hard thing. But God is never, ever, he, listen, let me say this first so that my next statement makes more sense. God loves you before you were born. God loves you on your deathbed. His love from that point to that point never changes. It is not dependent on how you live, on the decisions you make, or even if you decide to live for him at your last breath, he loves you more than we could ever know. With that statement said, you need to get that in your brain first. God is never satisfied with our standing with him, ever. As a husband and wife, would you tell your spouse, we're good, don't need any more love from you. We reached a max, we're good for now. Okay, that's funny. Wow, hit home. <laughs> hit home. It's not a hard thing. It's not a hard thing, it's a heart thing. The Lord's looking for our hearts, and He is never satisfied. It's never enough. That's not a striving thing. That's not a hard thing. It's that, God, I want you more. And the more we know Him, the more the devil will try to hide those subtle things, because even though they're tiny to us, I don't murder, it's just hate. And that we can hide that down so deep and so dark. We can hide that and no one would ever know. Except the Lord knows. And the devil wants to trap those things there because what it does, even though it doesn't look like the tax collector, doesn't look like that, what it's doing is the same thing. It is separating you from God. And what God is doing, he's not a stickler. God is not trying to make you clean because he needs a, a whitewashed clean thing because he has to see clean. He wants those things out of you because those things are going to harm you. You give those things enough time and they will turn into what the tax collector is doing. That thing will produce, ultimately, James tells us that. That you're drawn away by your own desires. The desire gives birth to sin. It doesn't start with sin. It starts with a desire. And I believe the Lord is trying to get the deepest this year. Man, he is going to dig deep. Get ready for the Lord to dig deep in you. Just get ready for it. That's his love. That's his love for you. Because those things in us... The deepest depths of us are separators. And, you know, and I started thinking, I started reading just coincidentally this week. I felt compelled to start reading the book of Acts last week of the year. We had this week off with the kids and just each morning just started just reading. And I have some resolutions. I'm not going to share all my resolutions. So between me and the Lord as I want you to make some before the Lord as well. But I started reading that and I started making some resolutions and then it made me realize though that why is this and that and acts not happening and it should be. I believe the Lord revealed it to me 
that it's because of the little foxes that spoil the vine. It's because of the subtle, the little that we let go, we let by. And we don't mean, you know, we don't even mean to do it, what, what is happening here in Luke. We're not doing this intentionally. I don't think anybody here came in this morning and started looking around and saying, I'm doing pretty good. I don't think so. But we do it so subtly, and that's his game, the enemy's game, because that's all he can in, as you start getting mature. You know the wrong and right, right? So he tries to get the motives. That's what Jesus was dealing with here. He tries to get, he'll start to just start to tweak your motives about life your motives about relationships, your motives even about being in church, growing a church, being part of a church, even your motive to share the gospel. I know this is crazy, but I remember who has known someone like this, and I'm not dogging anybody, but who has known someone that when they, when they um, win someone to the Lord, it's like a notch on their belt. Anybody known someone like that? It's not, they don't even care about the sinner who just came into the kingdom. It's like got another one saved. <laughs> Even your motives for preaching the gospel is subtle. So I just wanted to talk to you just for a few more minutes here. There's a story in 2 Chronicles. Who loves the story of Hezekiah? I love his story. Hezekiah has a king over him is his father. And his father did not love the Lord. In fact, his father really destroyed everything to do with God in the kingdom. But the Bible says one day, it was a brand new day. One day they crossed over. It was a new day. It was a new year. It was a new era. And it says in 2 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 1, Hezekiah was 25 years old when he became the king of Judah, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestor David had done. In the very first month of the first year of his reign, let's say that one more time, in the very first month of the first year of his reign, Hezekiah reopened the doors of the temple of the Lord and repaired them. I don't believe that we are in this church looking at the darkness and the sin that was in the kingdom of Israel at the time. But we can apply this story just as easily, maybe on a lighter scale, maybe some, I know, again, this is a small church, so it's hard to say sharp statements because everybody's like, who was that towards? But maybe you have major darkness in you. That's between you and the Lord. I don't think so, but I'm not God. But this time for Hezekiah to stand up and be king was his choice. He wasn't forced to do this. It was always God's will just as much as it was for his father. But Hezekiah decided it's time to clean house. Who starts thinking about those things? Like, especially for me, I'm inside more. I start looking closer at all the stuff you let go all summer. 
<laughs> that I hate it, but then I can't leave it. <laughs> and you got to start doing something about it. It's a good time, man. It really is a good time when you start cleaning the house. Who feels better after it's done, as annoying and as hard as it was? We just did that to Levi's room because he's our youngest, and it's like, okay, it's clean enough. You know, you make him clean his room when he's going to be eight. You clean your room. He's capable. But then when you go in there, <laughs> hmm. just close those drawers back. Let's wait till after Christmas. Well, we just did it. Went through everything. Got a couple small little things to do in there still, but man, sure feels better after. Hezekiah comes into a time where they had shut down everything. And it says that Hezekiah reopened the doors. I want us to open more. Let's, let's use that analogy. I don't believe it's closed in this church in our lives, but wherever the devil has closed areas, we all have them. There are definitely areas in our lives, in our relationships, and in our calls that have been closed to God. And as soon as we think that's not true, let's just go right back to the Luke story. You can do that on your own time. But Hezekiah decides, verse 4, he summoned the priests and the Levites to meet him at the courtyard east of the temple. In verse 5, he said, listen to me, you Levites. This is what God's saying to us today. And this is always a good message. This is always healthy for us. He says to us, purify yourselves and purify the temple of the Lord, the God of your ancestors. Remove all the defiled things from the sanctuary. Where is the sanctuary? Is it this building? No. Is it this room? It's right here. We are the sanctuary of God. The Bible said that what an amazing promise that was fulfilled when the sanctuary went from heaven to a tent to a building to a man. Inside of us. This is a call to us to purify, to search, to remove all the things, all that defiled things are. You know what a defiled thing is to God? We think of, we start thinking all these dark and crazy and heavy things. Defiled things, just anything that's not of God. In fact, defiled to God was really, really simple, subtle things. It was simply just not doing it his way. God, we love that Jesus took away the law, don't we, as his people. We love that you can wear cotton and linen and wool all at the same time. Okay? If you're not sure what that is, go to Leviticus and you'll see you can't do that. Who had pork during your holiday? I did. I had ribs. <laughs> and I'm thankful that Jesus told Peter, man, kill and eat, because I enjoy doing that. Right? Amen. But what didn't change, what didn't change is who God is. What didn't change is his purity. It just moved from a law 
from a step-by-step -step doing it this perfect way to a heart inside of you and I, led by the Spirit. God is still looking for the same thing He's always looking for, which is to look to Him, trust in Him. And the things that are not of Him in you, you can let them stay there. That is your choice. Thank you, Lord, for free will as well. But when we give those things up, every time we give something up, you're going to feel that same feeling about 100,000 times more to when you clean that room that you left for some time. You gave, you know, who, you we're so pressed for time that you just have to sometimes leave some areas for a while. And then it comes to that moment where it's like, that's it. We got to deal with this. I believe that's what the Lord's saying as we cross over, that there's areas in all of us. The Lord's saying, let's deal with these things. And you, you know what those things are. They're going to be, those are going to be different. It's the same thing he's telling us all, but those areas are going to be different in all of us. And he's saying, let's get done with that. Let's just get done. That's what I say all the time. Can we just get this, can we get this done? Let's just get this done. It's taking too long. That's what God's saying to us now. Let's just get those things done because they're, they're keeping you. They're trapping you. They're holding you from me. But ultimately, the, our relationship with him is step one. And we love that. You've heard me say this before, but Jesus left this earth. Who knows that? Jesus and the cross, sometimes the church stays too much right there. And we're so thankful. and great. You have nothing without that. Let me be clear. But that's not the gospel. Wow, what do you mean, preacher? What do you mean, Jesus? No, no Jesus is the gospel, but he, sent, he came into the world and raised up 12. That was really his purpose. He did miracles, and, but you don't know any of their names. Who are all those people? He was still, he can't help but be Jesus while he was here. But really what he did is had them see. Peter's here going, watching Jesus raise someone from the dead. And what do we find over in Acts? That Peter comes up and says, she's not dead. You could go out for a minute. Let me have a conversation with this woman and raises her up. That's really what Jesus was doing. He was instilling himself in humanity to be him on this earth. That's who we are. The cross was the first step. Guess what? Peter did not become Peter without the cross. Not the Peter in Acts. He was Peter the fisherman, Peter the hothead, Peter with the sword who's I mean, still trying to war right at the last moment. But when he became Peter of Acts, it's because of the cross. We're not negating the cross, but the Bible continues. Who knows that Acts through Revelation, follows the Gospels. The Lord is looking for us to be His church. We, listen, if you're here and you're still at the cross, then you let the cross work on you. You do that. Because the Lord was patient. He spent three years with Peter. So if that's where you're at, don't rush that process. But that's not the end game. The end game is for you to then be Him. You become, Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Remember? And then what did he say right before he left? Now you're the light of the world. We are. Hezekiah was in a time 
of darkness. He was in a time where God had been removed. And as much like the world, we can look at this in so many levels, much like the world, it's also an internal thing. God has been replaced in our lives by so many things. I'm the first. I'm talking to myself. God takes up two little boxes in me. He needs to take up a lot more room in me. I was actually thinking about this analogy. If you took water and you took maybe not one, but maybe three droplets of cranberry juice, something real sharp color, you could probably get that water to turn the same color with maybe three to five drops. doesn't take a lot. But really, are they the same thing? They're very different, are they? aren't they? I believe the Lord is cleansing, he's purifying, he's emptying, and he wants to fill those areas with himself because we can look a whole lot like cranberry juice or we can be the real thing. I don't want to look like the light of the world anymore. I want to be the light of the world as he called us to be. Listen, you will never, ever, this is a hard saying, but Jesus said it. You will never, ever get everybody on this earth to love you. Everybody in your entire family will not love you if you love Jesus. I'm sorry, I didn't say it. Jesus did. But, but Jesus affected. He wasn't, it's not that he didn't love them, but he wasn't worried about the person that wouldn't accept him. He just kept preaching, kept preaching. And then you see the disciples, they did the same thing. You just keep going and you keep going and you keep going. And then you'd see Paul, he'd just shake the dust. Some people, I hate when preachers use that as a harsh thing, like me, the preacher against you, just shake my dust at you. Like you rejected me. That's your problem. See you in hell. <laughs> That's not what it means, but it means like, listen, I'm going to keep moving on. I'm going to keep preaching. I highly doubt that they were, had the spirit of Satan when they said that. But I've got to keep moving. You, you got your choice. I can't. What else can I do? And that will be that. That's what it will be in your life. Don't get burdened by that. But the more, let me say this as a promise, though. The more that you are real light the more people will be truly affected. The more real it is, the people around you that hated you, because we see that in the Gospels, don't we? All of a sudden, wait a second, revelation came. I mean, it took the disciples three years and Jesus was in the flesh, remember? So, I mean, even when he comes back, I preached that on after Easter last year, he comes back and they're like, who is this guy? Hello, Jesus here, said I was coming back, told you this is what I was going to do, still took him a some time to believe, but then all of a sudden, what happened? Revelation hits him. Jesus didn't unlove them. He didn't stop being the light. He just stayed who he was, and then bam, when the revelation hit them, could you stop the disciples after that? Nope. You're not stopping them. They're going to their death, and we have that in history, all of them. They're going to their death with that gospel once it hits them. So you just be the light. You let that light start growing and shining more and more out of you. And the people around you, it may take some time 
even the disciples took time. But you're going to see, you will see more people come to the gospel, the real gospel, when you are the real gospel, when I am the real gospel. And even as, uh, as pastor of this church, if I was to come here each week and wait for the community just to pile in here and say like, hey, okay, now we want to hear what you have to say. I know that it's my job to be on my face, to be praying, to be seeking God, to be looking to God, to be trusting in God, to be preaching the gospel faithfully to the wall, if that's what we've got to do, until the families start coming and then they say, wait a second, God's here. The gospel's being preached here. The real gospel's being preached here. And I believe that's what God wants to do this year. You know, we, we all have faced good times and bad times. I said that during worship. A lot of death this year. It's a part of our lives. It's a part we don't like, but it's a reality. But God kept proving himself to us, even through those hard times, right? Who through those funerals got a touch from God? I did. I was shocked by it, actually. I was surprised. My most, mine was my grandmother. There was, there was many here. But when the moment happened, I was, you know, you don't know how to process your emotions. So you just go through, kind of through the motions of the whole thing. It's a hard, it is what it is. And then all of a sudden, my uncle started speaking about her life, talking about going through the Great Depression and seeing seeing uh, horrendous, really horrendous things in, in that generation 90 years ago. Lots of things, World War II, and, and even she lost her husband and lost her daughter and all these things. And, but she said, she said, I've lived a good life to my uncle right before she died. And his speech was, when did that start? And all of a sudden, what he was trying to get this crowd of people at her funeral to hear, I could hear from the Spirit of God. My grandmother knew Jesus Christ. She lived for him. And it didn't matter what was going on in her life. Those things still hurt physically, and they hurt you mentally, even hurt your spirit. But she continued on because she had hope, because she knew that this isn't it. And when that revelation, when he spoke those words, man, I was at this and I was shocked because I just wasn't ready for this moment. And I saw her with the Father. I saw her in heaven and I saw her in glory. And I realized that, man, it doesn't matter what comes, doesn't matter what moments you face, the ups and the downs. And even at the lowest moments, God is in control. God is God. And what he's looking for this year in us is just a few things. If I could just quickly run down a little list that I compiled here. Hezekiah, it says in 2 Chronicles chapter 31, verse 21, you can read his story there in 2 Chronicles and 30 and 31. I encourage you to read his whole story. But it says that he did what God asked him to do. And it says that he sought his God wholeheartedly. And as a result, 
And people love this word for New Year's resolutions, don't they? Look what it says. As a result of what? Seeking his God wholeheartedly, he was successful. I just compiled a little list here. In fact, it was actually in the spirit of... Multi- we were, I was praying with Jean a couple weeks ago, and Jean just said some words. He's like, this is what the Lord said. And, and if you, what were those words? Well, I can say for him. I put him on the spot. I didn't tell him. Sorry. Well, basically, it was some re-words. Huh? Yeah. And so the Lord gave me a very small list here, and it's to reflect. Before you can actually have a real resolution, before you can tell God, tell yourself what you're going to do or what you want God to do, the first thing that you really have to do in maturity is reflect. And that's basically to come back and just to look at what God has already done in your life. You're also going to look at your faults. You can't ignore them. We just don't dwell on them. We're going to leave them behind, but I'm going to look at the things that I don't like, look at the areas where I did mess up, look at the areas that I didn't like the result, whether that was me or the enemy or a mix of those things. I'm going to look at those things. More importantly, I'm going to look at how God came through many times. We have such tremendous miracles in this little church in 2016. Who agrees? Right? We, as I said, we faced some tragedies as a group. As this little group, we've, we faced some things. But we, faced, we had so many miracles this year. They're not here today, but a couple got saved this year. To me, that's it. I mean, if, if we're gathering here and just loving God and being God's people, and they walked in the door, John, who just walked out, John's parents came in that back row and saw this group of people and said, I think this peop- these people are for real. I think this is for real. And accepted the gospel, accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior just a couple months ago. That's an amazing miracle for this church. We did that by representing him in this church. So we're going to look at those things and reflect and say, okay, God, I see some faults and I see some good things. The next thing you have to do is you have to reassess. And basically this just means to uh, say, okay, uh, I'm not necessarily going to have to change something, but I'm going to say, all right, what did that year look like as I reflect? And do I need to change some things? That's our reassessment. We're going to first question, do some things need to change? And I think as believers, the answer is always yes. And that's why I started, I believe, by the Holy Spirit the way we did. The answer is always yes. And once you reassess, then you're going to regroup. Which means you're going to kind of structure and some, organize some things in your life a little bit differently. For instance... This might not be, I don't want to give you a list to create legalism, but you might say now, I really, because I feel like I didn't have the word enough in the hard situations and I want that, right? We reflected on some situations, we've reassessed, and now to regroup, how am I going to do that? I'm going to regroup, I'm going to reorganize some time in my life so there's some more word in there so that then my 
reflections in 2018. As 2017's year, when I look back, I'm going to see that because I regrouped some things, restructured my time, restructured the way that I look at God even, I changed my next year's reflections. And we have another reword that the Bible says is exactly really the sum of these three things, and it's the word repent. That's really what repentance is. We think of repent, repent's a swear word in the church today. You can't say that word. Because that automatically means like, like, whoa, what did they do? What did you do? But, you know, the early church was confess your sins to each other. I'm not even asking you to do that. But at least to the Lord. If he's saying confess your sins to each other, then what does that mean? That there were some sins there. This is not a heavy thing. Repentance is actually a very light thing. It actually simply means this, to turn. That's really what it means. It's really not words. The words are just, when you get saved and say yes to Jesus Christ, it's not your words that saves you. It's the words coming out of your mouth reflect a heart condition. And then in a true believer, whoa, uh-oh, in the real believer, you'll see their life reflects those words that they said. And you can see those that came down to the altar and said the words, but obviously their heart wasn't in it because they it means nothing. It was nothing. That's between them and God. I'm not going there. But repentance is simply to turn. It says in Acts 3, 19, repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Each time, you know, again, with the abolishment of the law and with the whole system that God had in place to keep his people purified and holy and right, Jesus abolished it, but he didn't change what he's looking for in you, which is purity, which is cleanness. The difference is that you're not going to do it with a seven-step plan and throw out the books that tell you it's seven steps. You're going to do it through your heart. But it's still, even heart or not, your sins, just like the sacrifices represented, each year, each month, there was all different types, but especially each year, there was an atonement sacrifice. That's who Jesus Christ ultimately, he represents all of them. But what the cross ultimately represents is that atonement where your sins are washed away. And we come to God, we should come to him routinely, but if anything, when we start crossing over, we should remember that annual. I'm not going to start to create a religious ceremony here, but we remember that moment of atonement. In fact, it was very, for them, it was a pretty harsh moment. They had to put their hand on the animal and slit the throat and feel the animal die. Because that blood wasn't just blood, but they felt that replaced your sin. And it's just a time where we just say, Lord, again, just like in Luke, Lord, I need you. That's really as simple as it is. There might be deep, dark stuff that he'll get to in us. It might be in you. You don't even know it. But all it is is simply just turning to him. That's it. That's all repentance is. Just turn to God. He'll do the work. You can't clean yourself up anyway. Have you figured that out by now? I have. 
But you turn to him and he starts revealing some things. We don't like what gets revealed, but let's just let God be God because what's it say he does? He wipes them away. See, as soon as we come to, we come through reflection, reassessing, regrouping, repentance, really the sum of those things, then we get the next thing it says. And this is where God wants to get us to. He wants to bring you into this year like this. He doesn't want to bring you with last year's burdens, with last year's weights, with last year's sin, because that's not going to do anything for you except hold you back, going to keep you from what he has for you. But as we let it go, what does it say? What's the rest of that Acts scripture say? Come on, guys, we know it. It says, repent, verse 19, and they'll be wiped away. But verse 20 says, then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. I want the presence of the Lord. I, that's, I want his presence. Refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. We get refreshed. You come through these things, you come into this new year, a refreshment comes. I think that that's healthy for all of us. Let's just start this year refreshed. Anybody need some refreshment? Am I the only one that feels sometimes like you need a little refreshment? Well, here's, the, here's what it says to do. It's the Bible tells us very clearly, and it's not a hard thing. It's an easy thing for a believer. It's a really easy thing. Lord, forgive me. Jesus is not like, well, I mean, you did this. Lord's like, okay. Is that your real heart? Yeah, Lord. Okay. We're good. Refresh. Just like that. Then, will you come through these things? This is what it says in 1 Peter 5. And this is the scripture that will bring us into this year, we get restrength and recharged because it says in 1 Peter 5, verse 10, in his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory. And I want to share in his glory by means of Jesus Christ, right? Means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, right? Sin is not fun. The weight of those things, when God starts digging that stuff up in you, nobody likes the dirty room. But let God finish because everybody loves the clean room, Right? It says that after you suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation. Then you're ready for your resolution. Now your heart is clean and ready. And when those things come first, you're going to say something like this. Matthew 6.33 Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. What's a resolution list, really? Something you're trying to get to, right? That's a need that I feel like is in my life. I need that and I'm gonna do what it takes to get there. I'm determined. Most human resolution lists go in the garbage by January 15th, if that but God's answer to our prayer, we need you more. You start seeking him with your whole heart above all else, letting him help you live righteously. And it says he will give you everything you need. That sounds just like Hezekiah, doesn't it? He sought for God wholeheartedly. Why does it say that? Why does Hezekiah, why did Hezekiah have success? 
Why does it say that God will give you everything you need? Because it's very simple. We talked a lot about the law today. I didn't plan on doing that. That was the Holy Spirit. Why? Because it says the first and second commandment, Mark 12, verse 29, the most important commandment is this. The Lord our God is the one and only God. Verse 30, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart. Sums it all up. All your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. In verse 31, the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. This one I've said before will come naturally. You don't have to try to love your neighbor. You may not like your neighbor right to your death. That's okay. God never said you have to like them. He tells you to love them as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. We start praying for God to be our heart, to search, to search for Him with all your heart, to seek Him out. We start becoming light. Your resolution list starts looking a little bit differently when you come to the place with God. Now your resolutions, they may be some, listen, you may need to get healthy. That might be God's will for your life this year because he's got some things for you to do and there's nothing wrong with that. But just like I said at the beginning, God is intertwined with all of those things. He's a part of all of that. He's a part of everything. The way to get him to be there is just to come and make him a part of it. God, I don't even know how, but I want you to be a part of this. And then God may say, that's not really for you. I don't want any part of it, and I don't want you to be a part of it. Okay, God, what do you want? Well, I want you to do this, and this is how I'm going to help you do it. That's the way he wants us to live this year. Can we stand and pray? I just want to pray, and we're going to have John take communion. Just want to pray in this year and just thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, that you love us so much. Thank you, Lord, that you did everything. We need to know that here, church. You did it completely. It's finished. There is nothing we can add to the cross. There's nothing we can add or take away from the gospel. It's done. But I thank you, Lord, that all of the little hidden things in all of us that the enemy has used to separate us from you, and that's not your will, that's not the best for us, and that's not what you want. We're missing out on what we can have in you. I thank you, Lord, that you're going to shine your light in this year in all those areas. And I thank you, God, that then as we resolve to know you, as we make our resolution to you to be our God more than ever, to seek you because your word says we're going to find you, to knock because your word says that door will be open. Lord, I thank you that you're faithful to answer that prayer. If there's any prayer in the word that you're willing to answer quickly, it's that when we seek you, we're going to find you. Lord, I pray for a blessing over this family, over this church. Just pray, Lord, as we look to you and honor you. Thank you, Lord, that you're faithful to bring us right to the end. In Jesus' name, 
Amen.